0: Our scripture reading today is Matthew 11 verse 1 to 19 after Jesus has finished instructing his 12 disciples he went on from there to preach teach and preach in the towns of Galilee when John who was in prison heard about the deeds of the Messiah he sent his disciples to ask him are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else Jesus replied Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, John began to speak to the crowd Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one but whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of woman, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come whoever has ears let them hear to whom can I compare this generation they are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others we played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proven right by our deeds. The word of the Lord, and this word will never pass away.
1: Please feel free to grab a seat. There's an unwritten, unspoken rule in what I like to call pastor land. You're going to get to peer behind the curtain. And here's the rule. After Christmas, you cannot mention Christmas for at least six weeks. We'll have good news. Six weeks have come and gone. So I need to do a poll with all of you. Uh, What is the best Christmas movie? Elf. Home Alone. Alone. Somebody said Die Hard. May God have mercy on your soul. (laughs) And then somebody, shockingly, got the right answer. In the 9 a.m., no one did. They were all wrong. It's a Wonderful Life. Apparently, I can get some witnesses in the room. It's a Wonderful Life. It's a great movie. If If you've never seen It's a Wonderful Life, uh, shame on you, and you have homework. <laughs> but I, I'll give you a, a, the brief synopsis without spoiling the movie because you really should watch it. Here, here's the synopsis of the movie. There's this man named George Bailey, and George Bailey, he, he lives in this run-of-the-mill town with run-of-the-mill people, and it's overseen by sort of this tyrant named Henry F. Potter, not related to Harry Potter. And Henry Potter, he's a mean man, and he controls all the economy in that city, and he raises house prices, and he makes it very difficult for people to live. And then you have George Bailey, who lives a life, not a perfect life, but a life of virtue and justice and kindness and self-sacrifice. And he, he starts a company to help people get out of these slums, and he's helping people over and over and over and over, and he gets taken advantage of. And what's shocking is this, George Bailey does everything right. Not perfect, but everything right. And then his life falls apart. And he goes through a sense of vertigo. He loses complete balance. He gets completely spiritually or soulfully or emotionally or psychologically disoriented. To the point where he goes, I don't even want to live. I'm going to kill myself. And you can watch the rest of the movie to find out what happens. But hear me. The reason why George Bailey loses grip on the goodness of life is the same reason that you and I do. Because in life, there are times where it feels like you can make the right decisions, you can do the right things, you can you can be kind and just and self-sacrificing and then go, why isn't my life turning out the way I want it to be? This is a very human problem. That it's possible to as best as you can, not perfectly, but do very well. And then be surprised with grief and disappointment and sadness. And this can cause spiritual vertigo. Come on, come on. Some of us in this room, you've, you're walking through it right now. Some of you today, you're walking through a season you didn't see coming. And it's hard. And for some of us, if we're honest, it makes us pull back. In the life of faith. Others of you, you've experienced it. Maybe you worked through it, but it could be that there's some grief. And, and for some of you, maybe you're in a beautiful season, and, and that's wonderful. And one day, here's the bad news. The bad news is one day you'll find out that everything fell apart, and you don't know why. That's what's happening here to Jesus' cousin, John, So, if you're new to Foothills, what you need to know is we've been working working through the book of Matthew, looking at the life of Jesus, verse by verse by verse. We break it up every once in a while with a series, and then we get back into the book of Matthew. And here we're introduced to the cousin of Jesus. And He's done so much. That's right. We'll explore that. It's not that bad, is it? God bless you, ma'am. Don't worry about your baby. It's all good. And and everything goes wrong, and this can cause us to lose faith. Now, some of you might be here or watching online. You go, I don't know if I have any faith at all. Here's what I need you to say. One of the claims about the Christian faith is this, is that God is the author or creator of life. And so even if you're here and you go, I don't believe in a God, uh, what can happen is this. When you do what's right and everything falls apart, it can cause you to go, I quit. I'm out. I give up. I don't want this. And it makes you pull back. In fact, a lot of people in Calgary, one of the reasons they go, I can't believe in God, is because there's so much evil that happens and people seem to get away with it. So we're going to see a story about how do you cope with this? How do you get through? So that being said, I'm just going to invite us to pray. If you're here and you've never experienced Christ, you've never experienced God, great prayer for you is simply to go, God, would you speak to me? For some of us, you're going through it. You're going through it today. Today, would you ask Christ to strengthen you? And number three, some of us, we're in a good season. Thank God for it. And then ask Him to give us wisdom so we can be forearmed. But let's pray together. We say this all the time. Prayer is this. It's speaking to God and listening for His voice. Let's pray. Father, we want to know You. And God, some of us, we, we have just been walking through a season where Life didn't go the way we expected. Where we wanted things to be better, more joyful, more wonderful, and it hasn't gone that way. God, some of us, we have grief and surprise and disappointment. Would you speak to us? God, some of us aren't sure you're there. We're not sure there is a creator. Jesus, would you reveal the Father to us today? And Lord, some of us are in a good season, a sweet season. Help us to embrace that season with all we have, and then to grow in wisdom in the middle of it. We pray all this in your beautiful name. Amen. So, if you've got a Bible, you can flip to Matthew chapter 11. Uh, That's where we we are. And uh, we'll pick up. Here's what it says, Matthew chapter 11. Uh, After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. So here, here's the context, if you, if you want to catch up. In the past chapter, Jesus, he, he's done his great teaching to the crowds, and now he's got this select group of followers, and he goes, I'm going to teach you to do what I do. In, in some ways, Jesus echoes, or perhaps it's the other way around, the brilliance of McDonald's. <laughs> what does McDonald's do that is brilliant? Well, in addition to a $1.99 McDouble. <laughs> McDonald's has this philosophy when it comes to training. When you start a job at McDonald's and they pay you $15, minimum wage, soon to be replaced by a robot. Um, That's funny. Some of you will get that on the way home. Um, At McDonald's, when they hire you, say just to cook burgers, they don't actually train you to cook burgers. What they do is they train you to train other people how to cook burgers. And the reason they do that is so that anyone that they hire, anybody they call into the movement of McDonald's is able to pass on what they've received. Now, 2,000 years prior, Jesus did the same thing. What Jesus does, and what Jesus still does, is this. He calls people to experience new life with God, a brand new lease on life, to, to experience His love and courage and forgiveness and faithfulness and beauty and passion and strength. But then He goes... You're not done if you've just received it. You need to train others as I train you. This is what we call making disciples. And this is part of our, uh, the mandate of the church. Some would even say it is the mandate of the church that we're not just to experience the grace of God, but we're meant to experience it so that we could pass it on and that's and train people to train people to train people not to make hamburgers, but to experience God's kingdom. So Jesus, he... he, he instructs them, and He sends them out, and then it says this, that He went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. So, Jesus Himself, He, he goes out now, and He's doing two things. He's going to teach, and He's going to preach. What's the difference? There's a lot of debate around this, but here, here's a, a simple framework that I find to be helpful. Uh, Jesus, He's going to teach people, and teaching is this. Teaching, in some ways, is about doctrine, What's doctrine? Doctrine's a fancy word of saying about the central tenets, the thought constructs on which the whole Christian faith stands. So, for instance, here, here's a simple one. Uh, a doc, the doctrine, Christians, we have the doctrine of the Trinity, that we believe that there is one God, only one God, and yet this God is uh, composed of three people who exist simultaneously, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And what, that, what does that mean? It means this, that the essence of God is relational love rather than just solitary power. We believe God's fully powerful. But this is doctrine. This is teaching. And Jesus, often He would have debates with people. He'd go into the temple, or, or not the temple rather, but into the synagogue, and he would, he would converse with the spiritual leaders of the time. He would ask them questions about the Scripture. In fact, He asked them one time about a psalm, and He says, uh, David says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for my feet. And Jesus goes, how can the Messiah be David's son if David calls him Lord?" And even some of us are going, I don't know. And We'll get to that someday. <laughs> but Jesus, he's actually working out the intricacies, the fine details. This is teaching. It's didactic often. It's conversational. It's technical. It's really helpful. We do that here at Foothills. We believe in it. Um, and for some of us, the most exciting thing we could do is, is say this. Actually, for the next three and a half hours, we're going to talk about the benefits and difficulties of Arminianism, Arminianism versus Calvinism. And some of you are like, what are you talking about? Uh, predestination and free will. And some of you go, yes. And some of you go, no. And because we love the no people and the yes people, we try to do a bit of both. So Jesus, He teaches. It's really important. But He also preaches. What is preaching? Well, preaching in some ways, you'll see this, that Jesus, He comes in and He proclaims the good news of the kingdom of God. He proclaims, and, and what does that look like? He talks about what God's kingdom, what it looks like when God gets his way, how he rules, and how that applies to everyday life. Preaching is about how it applies to everyday life, the kingdom of God. And so Jesus, he, he's very practical, because sometimes it's not, it's not what you know, it's what you experience, what you live into, how you've applied it, how you've worked it into the everyday of your life. So, why, why do I tell you that? Well, here's why. If we're going to train people to train people to experience God's grace, uh, it is going to require both teaching and preaching. Teaching and preaching. Uh, for some people, they're going to need instruction on what Christians believe. What does the Bible say? They need that. It's, it's rudimentary. It's foundational. It's important. And, and, and every one of us will need and have moments where we go, I need to, to see how this works for my day-to-day reality and apply it. So, Jesus, he's doing that. And then we pick up with G- Jesus' cousin, John. So, it's this, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? So quick background on, on who John is. Uh, John John is a wild man. Like, if you read the book, John is, is wild. He's out in the wilderness. He's preaching. He's out there. He's calling people to repent. He's yelling at people. He's wearing a camel's robe, which is odd, and a leather belt, and he's eating locusts and wild honey. And, and the religious leaders come up to him, and he goes, what do you want, you brood of vipers? Which is far closer to a curse than many of us want to understand. What Jesus or what John says, I can't really translate without offending some of us. John is a wild man. And he's out there. And and he is actually preaching hey, we need to repent, we need to turn to God, we need to stop being self-reliant. There needs to be this sense where we actually go, there is a creator, let's get in alignment with him. And he's led this movement. And what's interesting about John is this. Uh, John was the cousin of Jesus. Uh, John actually, John the Baptist, uh, in the book of John, written by a different John, he actually, he's the first one. He's leading this movement. People are following him. Thousands are coming out, being baptized. He's leading like a renewal movement in his culture. He's an influencer. Significantly but in a spiritual and moral and ethical way. And he sees Jesus, and he goes, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, John baptizes Jesus. John actually hears the voice of God speaking affirmation over Jesus. And yet, John the Baptist goes, Jesus, you're the one who is to come. Why? Now John's in prison. Why is John in prison? Well, John's in prison because Herod, who was the regional king at the time, he was sleeping with his brother's sister. And John, John said, Herod, I don't care who you are. This is wrong. This is not right. This goes against God's design. This is evil. And John, John, he's commended by Jesus, the best among, the best born of women, which by the way is everyone. Jesus goes, John's the best. And he commends John because John is a man of courage who will speak truth to, his, to power and truth to his culture. And perhaps for some of us today, what you and I need to hear is this, it's time for a little more courage. Humble hearts, full of love, and steel in the spine. Because John, John was held high in high esteem by Jesus because he spoke the truth. He spoke God's truth. And he's leading this movement. And then John gets thrown in prison. What does that have to do with you and I? A couple of things. Number one is this. Uh, John very likely is a better spiritual leader than any of us. Like, if you've been around church for 40 years, you're probably still not John the Baptist. And yet, John the Baptist, hearing the voice of God, watching Jesus, living in the same time frame, being his cousin, watching the movement, having the prophetic impulse by the Spirit of God to go, hey, this is the Lamb of God, he goes, Jesus, are you really who you say you are? What that means is this that there will come a time in some of our lives that is so destabilizing, such grief and disappointment and surprise that you and I is very normal to go, is God even there? Is He really good? I hear me. Some of us could be like John. Some of us, though, you might go, I don't believe in God, but here's what you need to know. It, again, it is possible to actually mistrust God and be angry with God and not believe in Him at the same time. It's really normal. So, John, he's got these doubts, these questions. I wonder where you and I have doubts, where disappointment has snuck in. Verse 4, uh, Jesus replied, go back and, re- and report to John what you hear and see. Okay, so John's t- talking to, or Jesus is talking to John's followers. He says, let's get a message to John. Go tell them what you've seen. Go tell them what you heard. Oh, and and give them these scriptures. And these come out of the book of Isaiah. So Isaiah 35, which, so Isaiah was a book written hundreds of years ago to the people of God so that they would know when God's chosen servant, the Messiah, the Christ, would come to set people free, to establish God's kingdom. So Isaiah, hundreds of years ago, because God didn't want anyone to miss it. He wrote these things. And so here's what it said in Isaiah 35, verse 4. B verse six says this: Be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. And this is the, the key part. And Jesus quotes this part. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. So Jesus, he quotes that. He goes, Tell John, tell John, because I want I want to answer John's question. Because Jesus is very tender with our questions when we're in pain and discomfort and sadness and letdown. He cares. There's nobody as tender as Jesus. There's nobody who knows your doubt and misgivings and griefs and anger like Jesus. He can handle it. And then he goes, Give him this other one too. Says this. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So this would have brought to John's mind Isaiah 61. Verse 1, says The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus even said, this is why I came, to do this. And the second half of that verse, John would have been anticipating, right? He's in jail. And he goes, "Is Jesus, come on, man. Like, I've seen all this. I've seen what you can do. I've been talking about you. I'm in jail. Things aren't working out. But I know the next verse, when I hear that, he's going to hear, okay, the Spirit, and, and what's going to come next is this. 61 verse 1b, he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. John goes. that's good, I'm kind of brokenhearted. To proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. John's in jail. He's anticipating, he's about to hear, John, you're going to get out. That disappointment you have, it's all going to be resolved. Instead, though, what Jesus says, as he's quoting that verse, he pauses and he changes. And he says, verse 6, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. What Jesus says is this. John, you're never getting out of prison. The Messiah lets people out of prison, but not you. Oh, I'll let you out of a different prison. But John is disappointed. And Jesus goes, I know. And I'm not gonna change things the way you want me to. Can we just be honest? Sometimes. There's part of life that we go, I wish it would change. I wish it would be different. And sometimes if people who, who come to church and have a relationship with God through Christ, if you've never done that, you should do that. But what you need to know is sometimes, even though you have that relationship with God through Christ, you go, please change my situation. Please fix my marriage. Please give me a marriage. Please give me a career. Please give me more money. Please fix my health. Please change my kids. Sometimes you'll beg God for that, and He'll go, And then he won't even explain himself. It's gonna happen. That's what he tells John. But then he says, the, blessed is the one who doesn't stumble on my account. He gives a beatitude, he gives a blessing. Here's a blessing, here's what Jesus is saying. There is, when you go through a season of pain and loss and grief and disappointment, there is a blessing that God has for you if you don't stumble, And you can only get it that way. And so, you know, as a pastor, I I just hear stories of people whose lives are hard. Things didn't go the way you expected or wanted, and I'm so sorry. And what I need you to know is there's a blessing on the other side. Sometimes this can cause us to lose faith. Where, Where have you lost trust? In the goodness of life, which is another way of saying the goodness of God. God is more than just life. He's not just some essence. He's a person. You can have a relationship with him. But he is life. There's no life apart from God. Where have you pulled back? Come on. Some of us, some of us, we used to have this, this great sense of trusting God. For some of us, it was around our career. Like, like some of you, I need you to think back a long time. Some of you are going to think ahead a little bit. You know, God, what do you want from my life? Come on, think back. You're 18, 17. 12, 22, whatever, 46, middle of your life, you go, what now? And some of us, we had this, this trust that whatever he said would be good, and he could just have a yes. And then over time, we stopped trusting. Some of us, we had, uh, this one always is just hard to talk about in church this size, we had trust for what God might do in our kids' lives. Right now in the Harnett house, we got three boys, 13, 11, and 10. It's a beautiful season, it's beautiful. They're loving God, they're experiencing him, they're reading the Bible, they're praying, they're going to owana which is like this Bible club for young kids, our youngest isn't there, he puts on his green, green shirt and has got badges and it's just fun. Today I got great faith that God's interacting with my kids and I've talked to dozens of you where you go? My kids have wandered. Don't lose faith. Don't stumble. Pray, fast, cry out to God, love, serve, trust. Let's look at uh, what Jesus says about John, verse 7. John's disciples were leaving. Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. So the people were following Jesus. He talks to them. He says this, what'd you go into the wilderness to see? Remember, John's out in the wilderness. He's speaking on God's behalf. He's speaking truth to power, courage. Jesus says to the crowd, what'd you go out there to see? A reed swayed by the wind? What does that mean? Jesus here is saying, if you went out to see John, so that he'd tell you whatever the culture would tell you, you didn't get that. John didn't just agree with whatever was happening culturally. He says, if not, what did you go to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? Some translations will say soft clothes. Did you go for a little, like a a warm hug? Did you go just for encouragement? Because if you went to John for that, it didn't go well. He yelled at you, told you to repent, and then said, get in the water. You need to be baptized, which, by the way, some of you need to be baptized. You should probably do that. He said, no, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces, what would you go to see? A prophet. A prophet was somebody who heard from God and spoke on his behalf. The church still has in some way a prophetic function. Okay, what does that mean? Uh, Here's what John did. John spoke God's truth to his culture and to his time, and he did so with honesty and integrity and humility. Today, the church has that same responsibility. We do that through the Scriptures. So here's what it means. Uh, wherever you and I disagree with the Bible, we're wrong, and it's right. Wherever our culture disagrees with the Bible, it's wrong, or the culture is wrong, and the Bible is right. Here's why that's really important, because some of us don't like that. Canadians don't like that. Calgarians don't like that. Some of us don't like it. Why is it important that God can say we're wrong? Here's why. If God can never tell you you're wrong, you're only ever listening to yourself. If God can never tell you you're wrong, you're only ever listening to yourself, and therefore God is not God you are. And so the church has this responsibility to speak God's truth within the church, and also we have some responsibility to lovingly, humbly, with kindness, speak God's truth into our world. And John does that, and Jesus commends him for him. He says, this is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare the way before you. And then he says this fascinating line. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, everybody, there's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, it's kind of cool what Jesus says about John when he's not in the room. I wonder what the Lord would say about you when you're not in the room. It's an interesting thought experiment. Probably be something interesting to pray into. Probably be far more encouraging than you or I think. He says this: "He, whoever is John, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he." What? Jesus goes, "John's the best. Nobody like John." But anyone in the kingdom is better than John. How? Here's how. Uh, There are different classes for things. Let me give you an example. In the greatest Christmas movie of all time, It's a Wonderful Life, Henry F. Potter rides around in a beautiful carriage. And there's a perspective from heaven, and these angels are talking. This one more naive angel goes, Who's that? Is that a king? And they go, No, it's Henry F. Potter, the meanest man. Anyways, the carriage is beautiful. It's absolutely brilliant. Super nice. But it's not a car. See, the best carriage, it's an old class. So even the best in that class is not as good as the worst cars of today. Now, some of you might disagree. You I take a carriage over my car. We will pray for you. But a car is superior to a carriage every time. Every time. The worst car. I was going to mention one, but I won't. <laughs> the worst car is better than the best carriage. Okay, what does that mean? John was the best person, the most righteous, the most courageous, the most truth-telling, the most wonderful. He just, he just did what God wanted. He wasn't perfect. But he did it. And he had a moral record that, that he had. And here's what Jesus said. And I'm, I'm going to preach now, okay? It's going to be a little passionate and exciting, hopefully. So... But John didn't have what anyone in the kingdom of heaven has. To become a part of the kingdom of heaven, here's what you do. You go to Jesus and you go, Jesus, I want to be connected to God. I don't have any way to make that happen. I don't have a good enough moral record. Because if you say i got a good enough moral record, then God will judge you on your moral record. And it won't be enough. But you go, "I'm, I'm, I'm spiritually, cosmically bankrupt. Help. And he goes, I will. And you're in. And what happens? What happens when you enter the kingdom of heaven is this. God does two things for you. The first is this. The Bible says this, that when you come into the kingdom of heaven through Jesus Christ who gave his life for you and died in your place for your sin and rose victorious over all all of evil and Satan's sin and death. What happens when you get united to him? Here's what happened. First thing, the Bible says this, that God separates from you as far as the east is from the west, all the stupid decisions you've ever made, all of the dark things you've ever done all the lies you've ever told, all the meals of gluttony, all the foolishness, all the debauchery, all the slander, all the gossip, all of your sin, he goes, that's not you. He just separates it. That's amazing. Furthermore, furthermore, this is the best part. God does something you and I cannot do. See, here's here's what happens. I'm married to my beautiful wife now for 14 years. (laughs) She's great. Now, in our marriage, she's done like six things wrong. <laughs> Last week. <laughs> on Tuesday. No, t- <laughs> she's in the room. It's fine. It's fine. She's done some things wrong. They've hurt me. I've forgiven her. Here's the problem. I still remember. She still remembers. I've hurt her. Here's what God says I remember your sins no more. No more. And some of you, I just need you to believe that today, that when God looks at you, he goes, all the flaws, all the failures, all the stupid stuff you did last week, yesterday, last night, a month ago, 10 years ago, 27 years ago, I don't remember it. That's not you. I, don't, I look at you, I don't see that. So you're like free, free, free. You don't have to pay God back. He doesn't remember you owe him anything. I mean, that's good news. Second part that makes anyone in the kingdom of heaven better than John the Baptist is this. Second thing that happens, so it's called, theologians will call the great exchange. When you become a Christian, when you go, Jesus, I don't even know how to do this. Just help me, save me, fix me. And Christ unites himself to you. Here's what happens, great exchange. Not only does he forget all your sins, cover them over. He doesn't even remember. He does another thing. One one thought on the remembering thing. Uh, Here's what I need some of us in this room to do, some of us watching online. Some of us, the problem is God's forgotten our sins, but we remember. And so, we've come to Christ, and we still are operating as though we need to pay God back, and that will always distort your relationship with God. Stop paying Him back. Start living in His freedom, please, in Jesus' name. Second thing He does is this? Not only does he forget all your sins, he gives you the perfect record of the life of Jesus. That you are actually given what's called the righteousness of Christ, all which means this: all the goodness of Jesus, all the good things he ever did, get credited to you. And so you're like cosmically rich. Let me give you an example. Suppose we grabbed any one of us out of the, in this room and said, "You're going to Dubai. I'm I'm sending you there." You're going to Dubai. If you've ever been to Dubai, it's like the future. It's unbelievable. And everyone is rich. And you feel incredibly poor. (laughs) Some of us could afford Dubai for two and a half seconds. Some of us, two and a half years. It's expensive. Everything's expensive in Dubai. Everything. So you show up, we drop you in Dubai, any one of you. And you go, that's cool, I'm here, but uh, I'm still broke. So you can't enjoy it all. What Jesus Christ did on the cross is he gave you all of his credit. So imagine you went to Dubai and you had unlimited credit. That's what you are when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. That is why anyone who comes to Christ is greater than John the Baptist. That's why he's the last. Not because John the Baptist was lost, not at all. Jesus is saying there's a whole new class. Do you believe that about yourself? See, to the extent you believe what God says about you, you'll actually overcome grief and disappointment. And it helps stabilize you when you go through this vertigo where you're doing what's right and things go wrong. Let's close. 16, 17, 18. What Jesus says about this generation. Jesus is starting to experience pushback, disbelief, unbelief, rejection. We're going to see that in the coming chapters. So then He says this, verse 16, to what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he is a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, he's a glutton, and a, tax, a drunkard, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Here's what's going on in that generation. The reason this generation can't receive John and can't receive Jesus is this. They have a religious heart. Here's what I mean. John comes in and he's fasting. He's out in the desert. There's solitude. He's quiet. He's telling people, repent. Ah. And they go, that guy's crazy. And then Jesus comes in proclaiming the kingdom of God and calling people to experience God as a father. And he's going to parties and he's celebrating. And he's being with people who go who have sordid lives and broken pasts. And he's loving them and caring for them and healing the sick. And people go, uh, he can't be God's messenger. And here's what's interesting. The religious leaders of the day thought that if they were good enough, they would get what they wanted out of God's hand. And that is what leads to the greatest spiritual vertigo, the greatest surprise and disappointment and frustration with God. When you go, I was good so that you'd give me what I wanted. And Jesus goes, you can't please that. Because that heart is anti-gospel, anti-good news, anti-grace, anti-Christ. So what do we do with all this? couple of thoughts. Kind of three approaches for today. Uh, one is this. Uh, some of us, we just have honest pain and difficulty. We're going through it like John the Baptist was. And we got to ask Jesus our honest question. Like, Jesus, what are you trying to do in my life right now? That's a great question. The why are you doing this? Not so good. What do you want to do in me? Real good. You might get a blessing promise to you. John does. Second prayer is going to be about this. Come on, some of us, we don't believe what God says about us, right? So some of us, we just go, like Ephesians 1 says, like, in Christ, you're now perfect in God's sight. And if we're honest, some of us go, I don't feel that way. We have a prayer to go, today I'm going to believe what God says about me. Third prayer will simply be this. Some of us, we've taken offense at God. Taking offense of Christ because of the way our life has gone. Some of us have. I would say at one point or another, all of us have or will. Today's a great day to go, God, I'm sorry. I've wanted to be in charge. Sorry for being angry with you or hating you or rejecting you. Today's a good day to do that. So, the band's going to come up. We're going to pray. I invite you to pray in one of those three ways. And then we'll pray together and then sing a song to celebrate the goodness of Jesus. Before we pray, one thought. What causes John's pain and difficulty is this He's like, the kingdom of God's supposed to have come. And like, I'm innocent and now I'm imprisoned. Like, the good are suffering. And here's what's interesting John is frustrated because he goes, when the kingdom of God comes, how can the innocent? Be punished and the guilty go free? How can the just be given for the unjust? And Jesus Christ on the cross gives us the the reason why. Because the very entryway to His kingdom is this, that those who are spiritually bankrupt get spiritual riches because of Him. Those who are dead are made alive through Christ, and Christ who is spiritually alive is dead. He dies for us. That the innocent one, Jesus Christ, the spotless, Lamb of God, He is treated as though He committed every fault, failure, and flaw that you and I have. So let's come to Him. Let's pray. First prayer, if you're here and you're walking in some form of disappointment or pain, you know, it leads you in a simple prayer to ask Jesus what He wants to do in your life through this. So, you can just allow the Spirit of God to speak to you, hopefully through the Scripture, Maybe there'd be a thought, but just ask him. Here's the prayer. You repeat after me in your head and heart. Jesus, this hurts. And you can name what it is. And Jesus, what are you trying to do in my life? And just let him speak to you. Let's. The thoughts of Christ, the mind of Christ, speak to you. The second prayer is for those of us who struggle to believe something that God would say about us. For some of us, we've never actually began a relationship with God through Jesus, so feeling forgiven will be impossible. Today would be a great day. If you're here and you've never embraced faith in Jesus, here's a simple prayer for you. Jesus, I want in. Have mercy. But then for each of us, there's usually an area where we don't trust him or we don't believe what he says about us. So here's the prayer for you. You can repeat it in your head and heart. Jesus, I failed to believe. And then you can fill in the blank for some of you be that you love me, that I'm forgiven that you can heal me, that you have a purpose for my life. So fill it in. And then you're going to pray a second part. And I declare the truth that you do, and then fill in the blank, redeem all things, change lives, care about my kids, know my pain love me perfectly third prayer just a simple prayer turning. some of us are angry with Christ some of us are angry with God some of us hate him today's a good day to go I'm wrong it's the right day to do it if that's you here's the prayer Jesus I'm sorry I'm so sorry I've been angry with you about my life. I trust you. And now let's pray one prayer together. Jesus, we thank you that you know the sorrows of our heart, the disappointment, the grief what destabilizes us and you're tender with us. We thank you that you lived a perfect life. We thank you that because of your work on the cross, that God doesn't even remember our our faults or flaws or failures anymore, that we have been separated from our sin as far as the east is from the west. We thank you that, that you have given us your perfect record. We thank you that you have sent your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you have called us and you want to train us to help other people encounter your grace. And God, we thank you that you change lives. And Lord Jesus, we love you and we honor you and we worship you. And all God's people said, amen.